Well, since becoming an uncle and spending more time with babies and toddlers than I ever have before, I've come to a great conclusion. There is danger everywhere. If they're playing with a small toy, they could choke on it. If they're running near a shelf, something could fall on them. If you are cooking, they could burn themselves. If they are playing in the garden, an animal could bite them, and so on and so forth. I'm just getting started as well. There is danger everywhere. There can be causes for concern everywhere we look for them. All we need to do is to watch the 6 o'clock news every night, uh, watch Twitter feed 24-7, refresh our Facebook news feed every hour, and we could be driven to madness by the dangers and anxieties of this world. However, and it's a big one, however, Psalm 144 reminds us that those who have their trust in the Lord have a great hope and a great assurance that our God is sovereign. That our God is in control. That our God is a loving God. Our God is a rescuing God. And so because of this, in the midst of an out-of-control world, a world ravaged by sin and filled with uncertainty, we can take refuge in God, have rescue in God, and enjoy contentment in God. Now, this psalm that we're looking at is a psalm of David. We aren't given any other context, really, but we do know that David had a lot of causes for concern in his life. Uh, He was chased all around the countryside by uh, the previous king, Saul. Uh, He constantly faced threats from other kings. Uh, He committed grievous sins as well. Uh, He was also a military person, Uh, They used to sing that Saul killed his thousands, whereas David killed his tens of thousands. So here in the psalm, he's using the metaphor and imagery of battle and metaphors of wars to remind himself and us that we can trust in the Lord, knowing that he is sovereign and will save his people. So look with me from verse 1. Praise be to the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. Uh, David begins with praise for God. This isn't uncommon across the Psalms. Uh, He praises God and adores God. He reminds himself of who God is and what God does. He reminds himself of the attributes of God and the actions of God. So when we are faced with trials and temptations and concerns, uh, what do we do? Uh, The temptation could be to try and just fix it up ourselves. And then in my case, just make a worse case of it. Or the temptation might be to just immediately go to ask God for help. That's, that's probably a better way to start. But when we start off with praise and repetition of who God is, then it lifts up our hearts and our minds out from our current situation. And it reminds us that we don't and that we even can't fix our situations by ourselves. 
By recalling who God is and what he is like and what he has done, we remind ourselves that God is completely sovereign, that God is completely loving, and that God completely cares for us. And also that God can actually help us. David here uses the imagery of a rock and a fortress, that God is a sure, solid thing that we can rest and take refuge in. Uh, recently, I've been watching the Giro d'Italia, which is a bike race in Italy. And in this race, the races go past all these different castles and, and fortresses, and a lot of them were built thousands of years ago and also hundreds of years ago. And a lot of them are in ruins or they're in poor condition or they've been torn down and rebuilt many times over. And I'm sure that when they were originally built, uh, they were the height of their technology, and somebody slapped on a wall and said, yeah, she'll be right, mate. No one's ever going to tear this down. But eventually they fail. But our God isn't like this. He isn't like concrete bunkers that cave on in. He isn't like bridges that constantly need maintenance. He is a mighty Strong refuge, a sure refuge, someone who we can hide in and rest in. But he isn't just passive, but he is also active. He helps us, he trains us for whatever situations we are in, he prepares us and will give us all the resources that we need to help us. He is active in helping us. He is with us by the gift of his Spirit who points us to and reminds us of the Jesus and the hope that we have in him. And in all of this, he is a tender, loving Father. He isn't cold. He isn't harsh. But he is kind. This is absolutely incredible that the Lord, our God, the God of the universe who flung stars into motion, who created the individual molecules that make us up, who sits enthroned over the heavens and sustains it by his word, actually cares for us, you and me. In the scheme of this world, in the scheme of eternity, our lifespan is tiny. It's a humbling thought, isn't it? And the legacy that we leave after we die will probably be forgotten about two generations later. But God cares for us. And he knows us. And David is in complete and utter awe of this. This is what he says in verse 3. Lord, what are human beings that you care for them? Mere mortals that you think of them. They are like a breath. Their days are like a fleeting shadow. We are just like a breath. Uh, when you went for an early morning walk this morning, uh, you may have noticed the breath coming out of your mouth like condensation there one second and then gone the next. This is what Paul describes humanity as like. But despite that, God thinks of us. God loves us. 
God has saved us. See, our father isn't like a CEO of a big major company who has no idea who his employees are. No, he deeply cares for us. He knows our name. He knows our frame. He knows our hurts, our burdens, and our shame. And we can hide in him. He will be our shelter. He'll be our mighty fortress. This doesn't mean that life is always going to be easy, though, does it? But it does mean that through the troubles and afflictions of this life, we have the greatest hope, greatest comfort, greatest knowledge of the love and the grace of Jesus. So we can take refuge in God. And we also have rescue in God. In this next section, David calls upon God to save him. He has recognized who God is. He has recognized his lowly status as a breath. And now he calls on God to be at work in the world in saving him. So look with me from verse 5. Part your heavens, Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Send forth lightning and scatter the enemy. Shoot your arrows and rout them. Reach down your hand from on high, deliver me and rescue me from the mighty waters and the hands of foreigners. Now, there are two things to take note of here. Firstly, God is the one who does all the work. David doesn't try and rescue himself in his own capability, but he recognizes that God is the only one who can truly and utterly save. God is the one who holds everything in his hand. And so, David calls on God to save him. And just as a quick side note, in verse 7, when David asks God to save him from foreigners, he's not talking about those who are from just different nations. He's not being racist here. No, the foreigners are those who are actually against David and ultimately against the Lord, against Yahweh. Uh, He describes these people as being lying and dishonest. They want to grab the king of Israel, David. But David knows that God can save him even from them. So, God does all the saving. Secondly, he calls on God who is more than able to save. Uh, Notice how David describes how God is at work in every facet. Uh, In the heavens, by the thunder, on the earth, in the sky, in the battlefield, in the mighty waters, in the sea, in the hands of the enemy, God can help him. See, there is no area or situation in our lives that God's authority and God's power does not reach. God's power and authority is in the schoolyard, on the roads, down in the mines, in the office, in the airplane, in the doctor's waiting room, out in the surf. Wherever we find ourselves, God's authority and God's power reigns. So whether life is cruisy, or work is stressful, or the kids are driving you crazy, or you're in hospital yet again, and you've just had enough, 
God's authority reigns. He's more than able to help us in our situations according to his timing and will. This is who our God is. An almighty, powerful God, a, a God of the big things. And a Lord of the details. And David here calls him to save him from a physical battle. Uh, we can also ask God to save us in our spiritual battle, the ultimate battle. And the amazing reality is that God has actually already won it. See, David was in the grips of his enemies. We're in the grip of the ultimate enemy of sin and death. In the grip of Satan. Now, rescue doesn't come in the form of a military king, but in the death of our king. In Jesus' death, he took our sin and took it to the grave, and sin was defeated by his death. Sin's power is gone. Its authority is broken. But then death was defeated when Jesus was risen again with power. He is victorious. The chains and the power of death has been broken. And by faith, his victory becomes our victory. Paul describes in Romans 6 that our faith unites us to Christ so that sin no longer reigns in us because we've been united to Jesus in his death. We have died with him. And although we die, we will live. Because we've been united with Jesus in his resurrection. We have our ultimate victory, our ultimate rescue, completely and utterly in our sovereign God who does all the work and is more than able to save. See, we can't save ourselves from sin and death. We might be able to delay death. We may be able to cover up sin. but we'll never be able to save ourselves from it. But we can ask God to do so, to rescue us. And by faith, by his grace, we can have the sure certainty that he will save us. And we can join in living our lives to God's praise and glory, just like David in verse 9 I will sing a new song to you, my God. Now, this is the appropriate response to God's salvation. Worshipping our great Heavenly Father. And you see, it's so easy to feel burdened down by our sin. Yes, there are times to feel the need for, for weightiness and to feel the need for forgiveness and to know that but there's no need to carry it around. There's no need to be ashamed or to wallow in it. There is no sin, there's no evil deed, there's no bad thought that Jesus doesn't save us from. See, there is so much freedom and joy that can be found in, in hiding and resting in the refuge of our saving God, not by doing anything, but by resting in someone. And so whatever our situations may be, whether it be 
workplace issues, family conflicts, sickness, personal struggles, a besetting sin. We can cry out to God, knowing that He is supremely in control. This doesn't mean that we'll always have all the answers. But it does mean that we can have peace in the knowledge that God is a good, in control, loving Father. He won't abandon us. He won't stop caring for us. He has saved us. And so, what's the result of this? Well, we can enjoy contentment in God. Now, when the world thinks of contentment, uh, some might think about being on holidays, you know, sitting on the beach where the sun isn't too hot and there's a nice gentle breeze and maybe an ice cream in hand. Uh, For others, contentment could look like just getting a little bit more income. Uh, The next pay rise to make things just that little bit more comfortable. But for the psalmist, contentment comes from having the Lord as God. That is, living for and worshipping Yahweh, the covenant Lord. Now, in this next session, there seems to be overtones and echoes of the covenant that God made with Abraham and then reinstated in Deuteronomy, that there'll be descendants and land and blessings for the whole of the world through the seed of Abraham. So, verse 12, Then our sons in their youth will be like well-nurtured plants, and our daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. Now, remember, this is poetry. This is imagery that uh, David is using here, but he rejoices in the hope that there will be blessings of descendants and ultimately a strong nation to serve the Lord. Uh, This has images of strength, of resilience, of hope, of goodness. Uh, Then next, verse 13, our barns will be filled with every kind of provision. Our sheep will increase by thousands, by tens of thousands in our fields. The land will be productive, bountiful goods, God will provide generously for those who trust in him. Then verse 14, there will be no breaching of walls, no going into captivity, no cry of distress in our streets. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? There will be peace. No more threats from other nations. No more war. And God said that to his people that if they reject his covenant... And they'll be taken out into exile. They'll experience the covenant curses. But if they trust in him, all will go well with them in the land. They will experience the covenant blessings. This is the future that David longs for and looks to. This is the promises that he can rest in. But this is the God who he can trust in. A God who is faithful to his people. Faithful to his promises. His word is sure. He won't go back on it. And so this is a God who can find contentment in. But also, friends, this is the God who we can trust in. Verse 15 says, Blessed or or happy or content is the people of whom this is true. Happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Yes, blessed is the people whose God is the Lord. 
However, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to notice that what is being described in these verses isn't quite matching up with reality at the moment. Instead of a strong family, our marriages may be tired. Instead of abundant blessings, our paychecks may not quite match our bottom line. Rather than feeling blessed, we could feel down, lonely, and worn out. And the reality is, is that we still live in a world that is ravaged by sin, that's, that's groaning, that's waiting for Jesus to come again. But when he does, which he will, those who trust in the Lord will receive all these covenant blessings, peace, strength, total worship of God without the hindrance of sin. No more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more death. But until then, we can live in the sure certainty that this is what awaits us. This is what is ahead of us. We can live in the certainty that God will come through on his promises. And so we can enjoy contentment. That no matter what is happening in our world, no matter how long COVID-19 is drawn out, no matter what we see on the six o'clock news, nothing will be able to affect what God has in store for us. We can cry out to God in our darkest moments, in our sleepless nights, because He cares and He loves us. But then also we can live our lives with a certain joy, a certain joy and lightness, knowing that this world isn't all there is. There's such a better future in store. We can face troubles with a sure hope. We can endure hardship with peace. We can even face death with a smile on our face. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of who God is. He is a mighty rock and a fortress who we can take refuge in. He is an almighty God and sovereign even over death who we can find rescue in. He is a faithful and promise-keeping God who we can enjoy contentment in. Let's ask God to help us with this. Praise be to the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He is my loving God, in my fortress. Gracious Lord, may these words ring true in our lives. May Father keep us from living our lives in our own strength, in our own pride, and help us to rest in you. Heavenly Father, when things aren't going well, when we come across trouble, sickness, pain, conflict, Gracious Lord, help us to cry out to you, to find our ultimate rest in you.
to ultimately enjoy contentment in you. Knowing that you are a sure rock. Knowing that you are a saving God. And knowing that you are a God who is faithful to your promises. Help us continually enjoy you and to glorify you forever. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.